I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Pav. And I'm Neil. And welcome to the Top 10 of Anything podcast. Let's start the countdown. 10, 9, Ciao Bassa! Star Wars sa as iconic as it gets, but Do original trilogy of Do Nupa Hope, Do Empire Strikes Bata, Um Return of Do Jedi have arguably never been bettered. No Liya Do Star Wars canon. GG are Unka Ta countdown our top ten best moments. Um Unko Neil's G ten Star Wars facts. Oh, thank you very much, Pav. I'd wish I could do my facts in the same language as that. <laughs> so, number one, Yoda was very nearly played by a monkey. The famous Star Wars opening text crawl took hours and hours to complete and film. Charming. A lot of the rebel fighters in the Hoth from the Empire Strikes Back were actual Norwegian Red Cross. Hello there. James Earl Jones didn't believe Darth Vader was Luke's father. When the script came across James Earl Jones's desk, the actor said he didn't believe it. I said to myself, he's lying. I wonder how they're going to play that lie out. When 900 years old, you reach, look as good you or not. Hmm? Harrison Ford made only $10,000 for playing Han Solo in the original movie. He did manage to secure 0.5% of the ticket sales, which netted him an impressive... million on top of his $1,000 a week salary. So he wasn't hurting too badly, really. The original movie wasn't named A New Hope until 1981. Blue Harvest was the code name for the filming of Return of the Jedi. You hear nothing? The Andorians, otherwise known as the Ewoks, weren't mentioned once in Return of the Jedi. (laughs) R2-D2 spoke standard English in the early drafts of the script and used a lot of foul language in the process. All of his English lines were cut in the end, but C-3PO's shocked reactions stayed the same. (laughs) 
And Hamill hit his head in Yoda's hut in The Empire Strikes Back 16 times before the director was happy with it. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you very much, Neil. Thank you. Thank you. A pleasure. Um, so we're doing something that we've never really spoken about before on this podcast. It's Star Wars. Yay! <laughs> but we are going to delve deep into the original Star Wars trilogy. So episodes four, five, and six. And we couldn't think of anyone better to join us than someone that has sort of literally made the film about the films. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, podcaster, documentary, film humanitarian, I'm sorry. Jamie Benning is back. Welcome, Hooray. Jamie. Hello, hello, hello. Wasn't nobody else was available? No, no. <laughs> we had a long, extensive list, and your name was on it. Uh, no, it was at the top of the list. Of course, it was. How are you it's doing, good to sir? be back. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, keeping busy. You know, I've just come out of a a meeting which uh, could be fruitful. I've had a bunch of those in the last few years, but yeah, always got something ticking along. Is that podcast related? That meeting. Yeah, podcast related, potentially video production related as well. Um, right. Maybe getting involved with some of the studios again, or trying to, as I've done many times before. We'll see if it comes off this time. I feel like this is the time where I'm the most prepared for it. So maybe. Well, we'll in, keep our fingers and toes crossed. In full for you. Hollywood you. fashion, I'm, I'm assuming that you can't divulge any of the information at the moment. I can, but I'd have to send a thermal detonator to each of you. Um, I do know where you live. <laughs> oh, creepy. Uh, could we not get C-3PO to uh, negotiate for, uh, you know, for us before you let the thermal detonator off? There are times where, yeah, I could do with a, a droid to negotiate things for me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Good. Well, we will, we will have a little... Actually, we'll, we'll chat about your podcast now. So how long has the podcast been going? I started it in, I think, April... 2020 so middle of the just at the start of the pandemic there i lost all my work in live sport i work in live production and of course sport wasn't happening so my job just disappeared and as a freelancer you know i had no sick leave i had no annual leave i had no support really so uh i thought now's as good a time as any i would thought about making a podcast before and a lot of the issue was about trying to work out the mechanics of it about how do you do a podcast you know what do i what equipment do i need do i need any equipment other than what i've got in front of me um in fact you can do a podcast quite cheaply i've found out um don't expect it to make any money is that is one thing i would say mm -hmm. um to anybody about to start their own but you know we do it for the love of it don't we and that's we that and i've been doing it what so two nearly two and a half years now and i'm on episode 86 so i think um yeah, I've got about another five in the bag. I did think at one point I might get to 10 and just kind of let it go. Um, I'm now thinking, oh, I can make 100 quite easily here. Um, and things seem to be kind of ramping up a little bit lately. So I'm hoping that, um, yeah, this meeting that I just had, hoping that that sort of helps push things along even more. So I'm just enjoying it ultimately. And that's the main thing. When you when you started the podcast, before you recorded episode one, did you in your wildest dreams think, that one day during this podcast, I'm going to be talking to people like Dennis Muren and, and the people that were responsible for making the movies that that we love. No, I didn't. I mean, I was helped along by a friend of mine a little bit, um, a guy called Mark. I won't say his surname, but he works at the BBC, and he'd done some or done many, many interviews on many, many topics over the years. But he's a real film nut as well. And Mark was kind enough to put me in touch with a number of people. And what I found is that each time I interviewed somebody there was a sort of leapfrog to the next guest because they'd say, oh, you know who you should talk to? You should talk to this person or that person. Um, so, yeah, I ended up speaking to Dennis Muren. I mean, one of the first big guests I had 
non-Star Wars related, but Star Wars adjacent is Walter Murch, who, of course, was one of that group of uh, filmmakers, uh, along with Coppola and Lucas back in the day. And, you know, the first person um, to be described as a sound designer. And I just said to my wife, I said, Becca, I think I'm just going to try and get Walter Murch. And I sent him an email. I can't remember how I found his email address out. He did a talk in North London. I think I bumped into him there and sort of introduced myself. He said, yeah, sure, let's do it. And we ended up doing two episodes. I just, I couldn't believe my luck. So I think somebody once said something to me that really hit home. It must've been around that time that I'd started the podcast. They said, just remember, you're no better or worse than anybody else out there. You know, you're no better person or worse person. And, and you know, just because they're famous and they're an artist and you adore their work, you know, it doesn't matter. Just speak to them as if they're on your level and, and a, con a contemporary of yours. And that's what I did with Walter. And we still converse today. I get an email off Walter and he'll say, oh, you found it. You might find this interesting. And he's always picking out interesting tidbits and he's working on a new book. And then that kind of snowballed into me talking to Ken Ralston and Dennis Muir and these people whose names I've known since I was four or five years old. Yeah. It kind of blows my mind. And I've got a few more on the list of that ilk coming in the next few months as well. Excellent. And these oh, guys, fantastic. like you say, these guys, if you're a, a Star Wars and an Industrial Light and Magic fan, these are guys that you've you've known all all your life. Mm. So what I love about the fact that you, you do this podcast is you're getting these guys and none of them are getting any younger. Mm. You know, the movies that, that we love are all nearly 50 years old anyway. Yeah. Mm. So it's almost like it's, it's a great way of documenting stuff. And I, and, and I think whenever you talk to anybody like that, they've probably done a million interviews, but there'll always be a little nugget of something that they sure. then remember. I mean, I thought the Dennis Muren one was just fascinating. I mean, I love listening to that guy talk anyway. Yeah. Um, so great. to be able to actually be in a, not one, well, were you in a room with him or was it in a virtual room? And say what you want to ask him as a fan. more than mm. anything else. Yeah. Well, I, I do quite a lot of research. I mean, I know a lot about Dennis already. I've read all the ILM books and I've, you know, been a fan of, I've always enjoyed listening to him talk about his craft. And um, I always do enough research to ensure that I'm not asking the same old questions again and again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I sometimes will interview somebody and I'll go to a certain depth, but then, rather than find out the answer to those questions by researching more, I leave it to the conversation. My podcast is very conversational mm. and, you know, I've all, I always end up about an hour, an hour and a half episode, but sometimes I've spoken to the guests after we stopped recording, I've spoken to them for another 40 minutes because we kind of got things going mm. and things are flowing. And, um, I think one of the first things I try to do is, you know, just talk about the start of somebody's career. It's always interesting to me about how somebody got into their career, but then I want it just to be a conversation and I, I won't have questions. I'll have topics, you know, usually on the right hand side of my, my laptop here. And if I don't get to one of those topics, I'm not going to awkwardly steer it back to that topic. I'm just going to let the conversation flow. And I always say to them, you know, if there's anything that you want to say that you want to talk about that you don't get the chance to talk about, then then let's do that. So I always make sure I treat my guests with respect because I think there's a lot of podcasts out there. They get great guests and then they just talk all over them yeah. and they tell them how much they know about them. That's not interesting for anybody to listen to. So I always, I'm, despite ran, rambling on now, I do let my guests talk uh, a lot when I when I have them on. Well, you're the guest, so you're allowed exactly. to ramble on. <laughs> yes, you're it's your prerogative yeah. now. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> um, so what guests have you, what guests ideally would you still like to talk to that you haven't been able to? Well, there's still some of those. I mean, to be honest, the remit of the podcast initially, as loose as it was, was really 
me talking to people whose work I admired, enjoyed, adored. Um, and it was also for people who don't always get the chance to tell their story. You know, I spoke to one guy who he wrote a self-published book about his experiences working for David Lynch and Dino De Laurentiis on Dune and shooting behind the scenes documentary, which then got destroyed. They they decided not to use any of his footage and he spent weeks down there um, shooting that. And he's a guy that, you know, wasn't necessarily podcast fodder. You know, I've not seen interviews with him elsewhere. So I always like to talk to people who's who've not had a chance to talk um, about mm. their work. In fact, I'm talking to somebody at the moment who worked on a lot of miniatures on the movies that we love. He's a bit reluctant because he's like, well, but you've had Ken Ralston, you've had Dennis Muren. And I said, listen, everybody's got a story. You know, we see those credits go by even more so on movies now. There's thousands of people go by on those credits. Every one of them's got a story. Not every one of them is going to be interesting. But up until now, I've not been to any conversation I've had on a podcast. I've always managed to get something interesting. And like you say, you always get those little, little nuggets out of people that they might not have talked about before. And in fact, that's one of the things I love the most when people say, do you know what? I don't think I've ever said this before or nobody's ever asked me that before. And it's not that I'm just trying to, it's not one-upmanship. It's just me wanting to get closer to these movies via these people, you know, these movies mm. that we adore. And that's what we do as fans, don't we? I mean, you've got Stormtrooper helmets behind you there, um, Pav, and, you know, figurines and stuff. And that's what we do. We we do some, we share our love. And if if you're creative like me, then doing something like this and just having conversations with people is it doesn't get any better really yeah is is spielberg and lucas still like the holy grail or or is it is that something that you would like be aiming for or is sort of like well no i'm interested in the people that are like well listen i'm not i'm not gonna say no in fact (laughs) i met george many years ago about 10 eight or 10 years ago he was at formula one grand prix and i just went up to him and had to chat with him for five minutes which is really nice um, I've actually been trying to get Steven Spielberg to do an interview for a documentary I'm working on at the moment. It's with me and my friend Paddy. We've been working on it for about a year and a half now. We just haven't got the time to do it in between our jobs. We've shot loads of interviews. We've shot loads of contributor interviews. It's about production designer Joe Alves, who worked on Jaws and Close Encounters, but also worked for Disney and was mates with Paul Newman and just rubbed shoulders with just about everybody in Hollywood. Mm. And Joe, we kind of fallen in love with. And of course, he was a big collaborator of Stevens going way back to his TV career, the start of his TV career and Sugarland Express. So we're hoping to get Stephen. We very nearly got him last time we were in LA. It was just post the Oscars. He was in town. His assistant said, I think I can get him for you. And then it didn't happen. But we're, we're on his radar now. So I'm just going to keep chipping away at that. Yeah. So not for a podcast guest with Stephen, but definitely for the for the documentary because it would seem remiss if we didn't have him for that documentary. It, it deserves input from him, and I think you know Taylor Hackford, who we interviewed, who's Helen Mirren's husband, a, a well-known director in his own right. He said, "Look, ask Stephen for half an hour. In fact, ask him for twenty minutes. He'll give you half an hour, and everything he says, you'll be able to use." Yeah, yeah. You know, because Stephen yeah. is that articulate when he gets in front mm. of the camera. Of course, it's unfortunate because I'm using my iPhone as my as my camera tonight. I've got Stephen's phone number in my phone, but I can't get to it. I, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> don't worry, don't it's worry. Just, we'll do it another time. We'll do it another time. <laughs> we'll sort it out another time. Okay, we're here to talk about the our favorite moments from the original trilogy. So this is New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. Um, both of you guys, how hard did you find compiling your top 10? We'll start with you, Jamie. 
I could have easily have done a top 100. That's oh, that's the difficulty with this one. I mean, I mean, other top 10s, I'd probably struggle to find eight or nine or 10. Um, but with this, I just kept thinking, no, that one's better than that. Oh, no, this is better than that. Oh, no, this means more in the story arc. This means more about that character. And I've ended up with a list which I don't think is going to, um, you know, blow anybody's mind here. They're all fairly obvious ones, but um maybe the order in which they're they're in is is the thing but yes yeah, so difficult to just pick 10 in fact i've got 11 in front of me here and i'm going to change one of them <laughs> what about you neil uh exactly the same as jamie to be honest there's so many i mean we're big lovers of the original trilogy we always yeah. have been i mean we've been banging that drum ourselves haven't we Pal, for the last 10 years um so i mean how did i come about my list i had to just think turn everything off not look at anything even the movies and just go by the, the the top 10 that stuck out to me straight away and i thought that'll do because to me they're perfect movies but then yeah. i'm biased that way so yeah 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 i'm still looking at my top 10 now thinking that maybe should i swap that for that and i'm sure it's yeah. going to happen it's going to be a yep. fluid top 10 i think the way it's going to go but jamie kick us off with your number 10 star wars original trilogy moment well, I'm just swapping one now. Stand by. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just going to be like that. I'm um, not going to give. Not going to do that. My number ten. I've got here um, the Battle of Hoth. Okay. I think there's something about that scene that I've always loved. I love the choreography of it. I love the fact that you know, coming off the back of Star Wars, this big victorious moment, we're seeing our heroes kind of beaten down and and losing. And we know they're going to lose and they have to find an escape plan. You know, do they attack? Do they retreat? You know, Luke is there doing his thing, getting the, the bomb onto the to the attack, these sort of impenetrable beasts that are coming towards them. I just think it's so iconic. You could you could see a silhouette of a snowspeeder and know it was a snowspeeder instantly. Same with the attack, same with that trench gun, you know, the, the turret gun. Yeah. Um, I had the playset as a kid. Um, I had the Atat as a kid. I had the Snowspeeder with a cable that you could wrap around the legs. That's right. I mean, it, the music as well is fantastic. It's not particularly, you know, it's not it's not a theme as such. It's quite percussive that soundtrack there. But I've always loved it. I had the, I was fortunate enough to see John Williams conduct the LSO here in London a couple of times in the '90s, and they played that track, and it got a huge round of applause because it is quite unconventional that that music. Um, in terms of um, Star Wars movie music. But yeah, I just, I think there's just something amazing about that. And from an effects point of view as well, what a bold move to to try and, you know, composite white spaceship or white ships onto white background. You know, yes. there's wonderful plates they shot up in um, in Norway um, for the effects. Um, just such a dramatic, I mean, it's kind of a cheat. It's not a scene, it's a sequence, I guess. Um, and there are many sequences within that, you know, Darth Vader marching down the corridor of Hoth base and Luke watching the Falcon fly off. And like I said, the cable around the legs, just so much to to love in that scene. Yeah. Okay. It's it's my number nine, by the way. That's your ah. number nine. Okay. Yeah. It was the first, when I saw the, the making of the Empire Strikes Back, it was the first time that I think the magic of how they made the movies hit when mm. it showed Phil Tippett and all the guys moving everything like, you know a millimeter and for the stop motion thinking my god that's how they did it but mm. when it's when you see it as the actual movie it shows you the might of the empire mm. with these massive like machines that are just relentless and it didn't matter if the snow speeders hit them with laser bolts 
the laser bolts just kind of just disappeared when it yeah. hit. it didn't make any damage at all and it just showed you that they were like and that noise when luke's just at the underneath the the foot as it almost going to be cr- trampled it makes that kind of yeah, 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 yeah. Whether that's the, is that on the soundtrack of the movie? Is that the soundtrack of the song, or is that that's that's the the mechanical sound the me- of the yeah, Atat's yeah. leg, isn't it? Yeah, but the it hydraulics just, or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. A hor- horrific noise that Luke just manages to get out the way of. But um, oh, what? Yeah, I mean that was on. I mean, look, I'm going to say it every time that if it's not in my top ten, that was very close to being on my list. But mm. that whole scene, that whole scene is fantastic. Well, but done. it's the magic of when you first saw it when you're at the cinema, you know, what, 10 years of age or whatever I was at the time, eight, 10 years of age. And it, it was, it was something startlingly different when, cause when you've seen a sci-fi picture before, it's always space or mm-hmm. yeah. but then seeing on, on a, on a, an ice planet, it became a whole new world. It was, yeah, it was something incredible to behold. Mm. Completely agree. Great one to kick us off. Go on then, Neil. You're number 10. So this is a personal one on the fact of, I'll explain why. It's when R2-D2 gets shot by the Jowers in A New Hope, <laughs> right? And now people think, well, that's not much of a scene. Well, to me, it was as a child because I wrote, uh, forgive me for writing to them, but there was a big competition in the Sun newspaper. It was 1978-79. And I wrote about this being my favourite moment and then won the complete Star Wars package where I got the action man size figures, every single one. Wow. I got a um, land speeder, all sorts of things. I mean, I will, I've, I've got a picture of me brandishing them all, excuse the flares and the dodgy background because it was of that time, but I will, <laughs> I will send it to Pav. And that's why I needed to put that moment in because it was, uh, you know, I'd just been to the cinema. It was the first movie I'd ever seen at the cinema. And then a year later, probably went to see it again when they reissued it and then entered that competition. And it's probably the best thing I've ever won in my life. I'll put that picture, <laughs> I'll put that picture up now. Have you still got them? I haven't because, <sighs> I mean, in hindsight, isn't it? It's, it's a great thing. And we think to ourselves, well, you know, we should have kept them boxed, should have kept them. And yeah, everything yeah, like that. But I was... That. I was a seven-year-old child, you know, an eight-year-old Tearing child. through them, yeah. I wanted <laughs> exactly. to play with them. The only one yeah. I didn't play with was Princess Leia. She always just sat in the box. I didn't <laughs> even bother rescuing her back then in the day. I was a little boy who wanted to play with the, the other things. But, um, yeah, no, I haven't got them. I wish I did. I had um, C-3PO for years, and then he just sort of fell apart because mm. of the age of them. But, yes, I wish I still had them, of course. Oh. A I mean, nice little personal connection there, though, isn't mm, it? That's yeah, cool. that's 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 lovely. But if everybody, if we all had every Star Wars figure and that that we had when we were kids, we'd all be very very happy. Yeah, and, and not as skint now, which we're often having to buy them True. all off of eBay and places like that. Just <laughs> thinking, oh, I'm like Atats and X Wings mm. and Millennium Falcon. Oh, and the Death Star. And yeah. the Death Star. That was the best toy ever. The Death. The Star. cardboard playset. Oh, it was fantastic. <laughs> so good. Okay, my number 10. Um, this is from the original Return of the Jedi. Uh, this is Yub Nub at the end. This is the <laughs> whole uh, celebration scene, which uh, then George Lucas basically butchered for the special editions, which I could never understand. Um, but it's such a great song, Yub Nub. It's just fantastic. <laughs> and the Ewoks are there dancing, and all of our heroes come together because they think it's the end and it's it's everyone's happy because the death star has been spoilers for anybody that hasn't seen stars <laughs> the death star gets blown up for the second time 
and, uh, and then we, Luke looks over and sees the Force ghosts of old Anakin's. Which, mm-hmm. Jamie, where do you stand on that? Where do you stand on the on the the fact that the young Anakin was there as a Force ghost in the special edition? Well, I was. I remember when all of that kind of happened, and I was a bit shocked that he would go to change something like that and not go and change some of the other sort of glaring things within the movies. I think so much time has passed now. I mean, I don't get pissed off at things like that anymore, but so much time has passed now with so many spin-offs. You know, we've had the Obi-Wan series. We've now had the Ahsoka series in which a certain character comes back um, to some extent. So I think, you know, he's now, percentage-wise, he's he's occupied more screen, um, Hayden, Chris, Hayden Christensen's screen time, um, that I kind of... I want to see the original films. The, the, the biggest yeah. issue here for me is I think there's nothing better to show the iterative nature of filmmaking than allowing us as consumers to have all of the versions. You know, Blade Runner mm-hmm. is a perfect example. You've got the original with the voiceover. You've got the work print. You've got the director's cut. You've got the final cut. It's all there for you to view if you want to view it. Um, and I think it's kind of sad that some of the people that worked extremely hard on the effects work in those movies um they can't see their work anywhere unless they go unofficial and thankfully there are fans out there that have done that for us but it would be great to get that that final um original release and to sort of you know give it its due completely agree I'm, and i yep. don't want to neil hasn't watched any of ahsoka yet have you neil no, no, I, I tend to spoil to it for you but i have come to the conclusion i'm the same as you now jamie i'm not going to get pissed off with anything that mm. I don't agree with in Star Wars, because I don't feel, I don't feel it's for me anymore. Mm. I think I, I take the original trilogy and yeah. maybe the first two seasons of Mandalorian. I'm going to go off in my little Star Wars corner and enjoy them yeah. because that's what I love. The rest of the stuff I can take or leave. Yeah, it's I don't to think me it's going in the direction that no. is for me anymore. I feel like it's sort of a bit of a parallel universe. Like what if they made more TV shows? And that's kind of where I am. You know, I'm finding Ahsoka quite charming. You know, there's some great sequences in it, some great design in it. I listened to an episode with my headphones on the other day and was kind of blown away by the sound design that I've missed out on watching Mm. it on my TV. Um, What I do love about it, though, I went to Star Wars Celebration this year um, and I introduced, I did a, a panel with the Andor VFX people and, what I loved was that there's a Star Wars for everybody. You know, there were 200,000 people there, I think, over the weekend. And there were kids, there were 70-year-old men and women dressed yeah. up. You know, there's enough for everybody. For me, it's always going to be those first three movies and Caravan of Courage. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> those first three movies. And that will never that will never go away. You know, but I, I love that there's new generations enjoying the sort of things that I enjoyed about it when I was a kid, you know, the spaceships yeah. and the late lightsaber battles and all of that stuff. But we'll see if, you know, any of these um, later show. I think Andor was fantastic. I, I loved I Andor. I'm looking forward to season two. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm enjoying it, but I'm, I'm not going to put energy into getting annoyed about things that I don't agree with. It's, I mean... No. No, to be fair, Rise of Skywalker beat the shit out of me for that anyway. So I'm not going <laughs> to. Yeah. That's, that's a whole other podcast talking that about is. that. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Um, okay. I'd, so... str- I'd struggle to do a top 10 for that film. Let's, let's say well, that. That's, yeah. why, that's why I thought we'd do it in trilogies, you see, because at least yeah. then we've got Force Awakens and Last Jedi that we can pick other bits out <laughs> of as well. Uh, so you're number nine then, please, Jamie. My number nine, as currently is, um, <laughs> is the cave scene from The Empire Strikes Back on Dagobah. 
there's something about that scene that feels very sort of un-Star Wars-y initially but over the years it's come to sort of mean different things you know because it's so ambiguous it's so dreamlike there's there's something quite murky about it and mm. what I liked about it is is there's there's nothing definite about that scene it's not that Luke is Vader his face is in the mask what does that mean or does it mean you're your own worst enemy does it mean you know his lineage comes from Darth Vader what does it mean we don't know and and it's never expressly said you know no. this means that and I like that about that scene you know there's something very eerie about it there's some of that again great sound design of the lizard you know as he's walking in that music John Williams music that's sort of tinkling along with that kind of almost synth sound rising as he goes in the cave and you see the cave and you see this kind of geometric shape um like the doorway and you're like well, what is this place like it, and we've never really you know not in in terms of the films anyway we've never really had it explained and I love that about Star Wars. That's why I love those first three movies. And the prequels came along and started putting big arrows down on things like yeah. Anakin made C-3PO and R2-D2 mm -hmm. came from here. And this is that. And this, I like to, I like that Star Wars sparked the imagination of an entire generation. I don't think we need to have every single thing pinned down. You know, yeah. it's like that line, well, the bounty hunter I ran into an old mantel changed my mind. Great. It's just something else that happened. My mind can go racing about that adventure. I don't have to know about it. And this is the same with this scene. I just think it's mysterious. I think, you know, the puppetry of Yoda is just phenomenal in that film. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, there's just something really quite dark and menacing about that scene. And it's, I think it's the first time in the original trilogy as a kid where I was scared. And I, I can still sort of feel that feeling now. And I can mm -hmm. imagine I can, I'm getting kind of goosebumps thinking yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just think that's a great scene, great dramatic scene, but ambiguous enough to let us kind of, you know, run riot in our imagination. Absolutely. That's exactly what I was going to say. It was almost like a scene out of a horror film, the way mm. it built. I mean, and I was with you, Jamie, as a youngster, seeing it on the big screen. I was scared. Mm. I genuinely was a Is little that bit... line when he says, I'm not afraid you will be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Be, and Yoda genuinely looks like a horror. horror yeah, and, you, and <laughs> your weapons, you will not need them. And yeah, yeah all that stuff. Mm. I think, you know, and what you take in with you is, what, what's the line? Uh, I should know this, shouldn't I? Yeah, yeah, we all should know this. It's, yeah, you're right. You say you, you do not need your weapons. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, trying yeah. to think of the line, but yeah, yeah, it'll it'll come. Don't worry, it'll come. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you say about the um, uh, about it being ambiguous. That's the that's the one thing I love about Star Wars. Like you say, those throwaway things. It's a used universe. So you know, made the Kessel Run in less than twelve parsecs. Yeah. When I remember, just... I remember watching that as a little kid, and I didn't think, "Oh, what's a Kessel Run?" Well, you just took it that that's yeah, that's something in their world. It's just fleshing out the world, isn't they it? They know yeah. what it is. I don't mm. need to know. I don't mm. need to go back and have, you know, two series and a prequel to tell me what the Kessel Run is and what a Parsec is. It's just mm. part of their universe. Let's just carry on with the story. And there's, <laughs> like you say, there's loads of moments like that in Star Wars that I think is what fleshes it out even more. You don't mm. need to know. They know. That's all that matters, yeah. you know? Mm. Oh, great yeah. one. Great one. Yeah, really um, good. Okay, Neil, your number nine was the Hoth battle. It was. Uh, from Empire Strikes Back. My number nine is the trench run from uh, A New Hope. Um, mm -hmm. I have I got have. another little bit that's, um, it, it's, it's just the, the ticking clock 
yeah, uh, which is a trope that is used in a lot of movies. But I think it's just done. It's masterful the way that it's put together, the way that it's edited, the way that it, the special effects again, right from the moment where it looks like this is this is the rebels' uh, final seconds. Han redeems himself. You know mm-hmm. that part's my number five is Han saving oh, the day. Okay, and that I've got the Death Star trench run as my number two. Actually, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I was lucky enough to speak speak to um, Paul Hirsch early on in my podcast. I think it was about episode six or seven or something. He had his book um, a long time ago in an editing room far, far away. I think it's called, and it gives this great account of you know how collaborative that um, editing on that on those final scenes were. You know, with Marsha, Marsha coming in with ideas, and I can't remember if it was Paul or Marsha or Richard Chu that came up with the idea of the ticking clock because those scenes were originally going to be filmed this than that you know they were they weren't going to be kind of interlocked together where you're intercutting from the battle mm. and uh and the death star moving around and stuff you know all of that is created in the editing room there's a great video actually isn't there something like how styles was saved in in editing um garrett gilchrist who um did deleted magic one of the sort of early fan behind the scenes films he he worked on that and it's a great video it's on youtube i believe and it kind of breaks down that whole scene and it's so masterful that scene you know again the music is great the the banter over you know the the talk over the radio it's almost like poetry i think you know mm. I, those lines i can hear the different tones of those lines and the way you know you are in the cockpit with a, a pilot and then it cuts to the other pilot hearing that pilot and it cuts to the sort of radio chatter sound and the static and it's just masterfully done and you know it's a basic concept trying to shoot some you know torpedoes into an exhaust port but hey it worked for top gun maverick as well didn't it most recently you know it's like i'm watching star wars again here and it's that's it we just you know it's just a basic movie idea that you can understand you can tell visually i think yeah expertly done again and it revolutionized cinema. I think that mm. that part did pretty much. The effects, we'd never seen anything like it in mm. those days. And like you said, to think we're coming up to 50 years of when this Bonkers. was filmed. Yeah. It's incredible what they achieved. It yeah. really is. You know, the more you think about it, the more you think, oh, God. One thing I always remember when I was a kid is, you know, the moment when Luke starts getting Ben's voice in his head mm. and he turns off his tracking system mm. and the only thing i could remember was han saying to him don't get cocky kid mm. i think this is him being cocky he's he wants to show everybody how good he is right think that it was the force yeah. i thought he's just he's just going look i'm gonna do it without even using the, the tracking <laughs> computer i'm gonna do it by myself it was just like that was a youngster thing but it was just such a, a force kind of thing to do yeah i was just thinking you know in terms of the impact it's had and the longevity it's had recently you know one of these special effects or the visual effects breakaway um x-wing sold at auction for something like three million yes and then there's another auction coming up with heritage auctions uh greg jean who was uh you know uh, worked in visual effects and model building on a number of big big movies from back then he in his auction another x-wing has come to light and really? it's probably going to go for more than three million i mean whoever it was battling out last time to get to three million they're mm-hmm. going to not want to miss out on this opportunity because they didn't think this opportunity was going to come around again. And just you just think that these models were made from, you know, a load of Tamiya and Kyosho model kits mm-hmm. um, that were all on the shelf. They used to go to the hobby store and load them up. Um, 
they're so detailed they're so they look great they still look great i mean some of those effects that were introduced in 97 now look a bit rubbish compared to the stuff from Mm. 77 or 76 that's exactly what i was going to say jamie is if, if you compare it that's nearly 50 year old 50 mm. years old and it looks fantastic the early stages of cgi and that have dated a movie something a lot worse than the practical effects did of years ago yeah it's mm. i mean i think some of the early 2000s like you said the prequels some of those effects are just dreadful mm. dreadful effects and i think a lot of that you know is down to the time frame in which a lot of those effects were turned around you know you look at something like lord of the rings i think that still stands out i mean gollum yeah. still looks incredible like yes. where are we now 20 years on yeah. i don't know yeah. i can't remember what year it yeah, came out exactly. but they still they those films still look amazing um but yeah i just think that death star trench run is just so iconic even if people haven't seen the film and there are a few people still out there that haven't seen the film <laughs> they know that that scene because it's been ripped off in you know family guy and the simpsons and you know my kids discover that stuff about the movies that i love via car they were watching a barbie cartoon when they were about six years old and i could hear that they were ripping off a star wars storyline or an indiana jones storyline and then yeah. there's me telling them no this is where that comes from you know just so iconic yeah and and this is a cheer out loud moment that the, the final moments when it's the, the editing is cut between peter cushing there like brushing his chin and mm. the, and then the, the death star blows up i mean that is that is a cheer out loud in the cinema moment isn't it well there's that sigh of relief that luke gives as he fires yeah. the torpedo and it's like everybody just breathes momentarily <laughs> like this sigh of relief and then yeah. you know there's that pause and then of course the death star explodes um yeah. and you know i again it's like the the 97 special edition with the kind of you know the force um the, the wave coming out yeah didn't kind of need it i think that that twinkly music there goes so well with the twinkly little sparkles of the the, the primitive model you know which they Absolutely shot right. looking up at the ceiling didn't they yeah. um there's just such a charm to that stuff and uh yeah thankfully as i said before you know fans have done us uh, a solid and and found us original versions converted up into hd and 4k 4k yeah just going back to that x-wing that the at the auction mm. how pissed off are you going to be if you think you're spending three million on the only x-wing that's there and then another yeah. one pops up <laughs> yeah you think, oh. well the th and the three million quid one was a pyrotechnic one this one is like a hero oh version I, I'm, I'm not sure the story behind where greg Jean got it in fact the talking of um this particular auction i mean it's insane there's stuff from star trek there's stuff from buck rogers like early early buck rogers there's stuff wow. from laurel and hardy wow i mean if you if you listen to the uh stuff that dreams are made of podcast it's ryan condall and david mandel's podcast about prop collecting i think you can currently buy the catalog from heritage instead of 50 dollars, it's 25 dollars. so i think you have to be in the states but you can download the pdf of it as well and i just spent like two days going through this just going oh my god he's got like original maquette versions of the mothership from close encounters and stuff that right. rightly shouldn't exist anymore you know no, no. it would have been just thrown in a dumpster and gone forever but thankfully greg saved it yeah right. Crazy. um okay then jamie your number eight please my number eight is the speeder bike chase from return of the jedi well that's my number seven <laughs> uh -huh. okay. i was gonna i was taking a pause there because i thought you might have that as well yeah um i saw in 1983 age seven for my birthday i was taken into london and i went to the dominion theater which was showing the film in 70 millimeter at the time i think it was one of the biggest screens in the uk at the time and 
I remember so many elements of seeing it that first time. I remember going to Hamley's beforehand and buying a Bib Fortuna figure and an Atat and a Snowspeeder. I was still catching up with the Empire Strikes Back at that time. But I remember the speeder bike chase particularly because I remember going back to my grandparents' house and excitedly telling them about this this scout walker that looks like it's drunk and it falls over and explodes. And then there was this speeder bike chase scene. And I remember my parents saying at the same time, and we all ducked, everyone in the cinema ducked when they go under that log. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we did. Because, you know, the sound was amazing. You could hear the sort of the bramble <laughs> and the brush yes. going by, the wonderful sound that, you know, Ben Burt found in, a, in an air hammer. I think he was, uh, it was the air hose for like a jackhammer. He was leaving his apartment or something. And he heard this this weird noise a stone had got caught in this hose and he just said to the guys don't fix it i'm gonna go and get my microphone and come back and he recorded that sound and you know it's another one of those iconic moments in cinema and i love the technical aspect of it with them thinking how are we going to do this are we going to do it in a miniature are we going to do it with rear projection hang on what about this garrett brown guy who's invented the steady cam and it's been on the shining and it's been on rocky could we lower the frame rate and walk through the redwood forest and shoot a background plate okay let's do it um and i love that you know that was one of dennis muran's ideas he approached uh garrett about that i've spoken to both of them about that yeah. um and it's just that thinking outside the box thing that they had back in those days mm. you know another one is the tonton helicopter shot which still blows my mind at the start of the empire strikes back couldn't shouldn't be possible back then but they managed to pull it off and the speed bike chase is the same for me. It just, I had the toy, you know, you could press the little bit on the back and it would all fall it apart. Yeah, and the it would always is... fall apart too too often with not pressing a button. That was my complaint with that toy. Oh, well, do you know, mine was pretty good. I remember my cousin had one at the same time and his would fall apart all the time. And mine was pretty <laughs> solid. Maybe it was Pallid Toy versus Kenner, who knows? Um, <laughs> or just my cousin being terrible with his toys. Um, but I love the Biker Scout design. You know, there's an early picture of those speeder bikes with like camouflage painting and a stormtrooper sat on it and the stormtrooper of course just looked a bit kind of clunky so they designed you know nilo rodish jamiro who i've also spoken to in my podcast you know designed the biker scout um he even told me that he designed the helmet so that it would flip up um wow. and apparently george Lucas said what are you doing nilo that we don't want to see their faces and he was like um no no that's for the for the stunt guys and for the actors so that they can breathe and he was like oh okay so you know got away with that one <laughs> But um, I love all. I love that whole sequence. You know, the speeder bike chase is great. You've got Han trying to fight off the guys back there, and you've got Luke and Leia chasing after them, and brother and sister side by side working together. Mm. I love those moments where our sort of main protagonists are working together for a greater cause, and of course, then they get split up again, and we're kind yeah. of back to square one. Where we see Luke and when Luke ignites the lightsaber and and cuts the front fin sort of off the yeah and it spins off and goes straight in and explodes yeah it's just a fantastic scene didn't make my top ten but um, mm. no it know. certainly made mine but I can't articulate it any better than James already done <laughs> absolutely so go on then Neil your number eight please is the garbage shoot in the new hope uh, oh yes. good choice That's, yeah. that should have been on my list yeah i feel like yeah it should have been on mine as well wasn't yeah it? it was it was always the bit from when i first it was one of the apart from obviously uh r2d2 getting shot by the jowers um it was one of the bits i always remembered and it always stood out because it was you know it's that bit where you think christ how are they going to get out of this as a kid you're excited where are they going to go it's another and ticking then, clock moment isn't it it really? is it mm. is and then they go into this garbage shoot which you think I don't know, always looked like it would be good fun in there before the walls come in <laughs> as a kid. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, 
and then obviously we got the dread of the walls coming in, the creature that's in there with Lou. It just all mounts, and I think it's a perfect bit of cinema again. That just shows how strong Star Wars was in its cinematic moments. You know, people yeah. forget a lot of people just say it was a popcorn film, and then you see bits like that, which I think execute this sort of tension brilliantly. And it really drives the character's arc forward, doesn't it? Because we see yeah. Han Solo, this cocky pirate who's out of his depth now, and he's even he's thinking, shit, what am I, I going to do exactly, here? Exactly, yeah. You know, there's Luke just kind of thrown into this situation. He doesn't really know what's going on. And we see his sort of frailty when he's pulled under. And Leia, of course, you know, shouting at everybody about... Yeah. Don't Trying do this. Don't, commands, you know? yeah. yeah. And Chewie just, you know, knocking on the door, <laughs> being this useless yeah. grunt in the corner. Um <laughs> And then, you know, of course, we've got the moment after that scene as well where, you know, get this, will somebody get this walking carpet out of my way? Just so many good moments surround mm-hmm. that scene. Um, it's when it's when, it, when Han says, you know, to, to Chewie, what, what's wrong with you? And Chewie's like a little scared dog. Yeah. And he's like yeah. shaking his ah, yeah. And he just fires into the, yeah, that's the... And of course, one. we get the firing, you know, don't do that, boosh, and off goes the laser round and round the, the garbage chute. But I always thought, even as watching it as a youngster, yeah, I never could tell when they're all stood in the in the in the garbage and the water and the walls start to come in. Surely their legs would have got a bit crushed. Mm. Well, That's thankfully, it was all made of foam. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, even as a kid, I used to yeah. I used to think to myself. Why are their legs not hurting? <laughs> well, I, I I thought you were going to say that you couldn't work out the time compression that goes on there. Where don't try it. We've already tried it. It's magnetically sealed. Put that thing away. It's going to get us all killed. When mm. did you try it? Han Solo jumped down there like four, five seconds after you did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know that was of course you know editing going on there. But yeah, um, yeah I love that scene. You know, Mark Hamill mm. um, famously sang a song about the Dianoga. Pardon me, George something Dianoga poo-poo and George put his hand on his chest and pushed him in the water. Um, and he also got his, you know, bloodshot eye from holding his breath so long under the that's water, right. you know, yeah. there's always these great behind the scenes bits, but that's one of those scenes that you don't see much behind the scenes material on, you know, the making of guys certainly weren't there shooting that day. There's not many images of it. What you, well, there is that great one of just the whole place empty of water and just all the foam bits just mm. sitting there. I think the Dianogas are sort of laying on the floor, but that thing used to freak me out as a kid. Yeah. 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 Because what was it? That was the thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, and what was the rest of it like, you know? Yeah. And then you see it, of course, wrapped around Luke and yeah. Great one. Uh, yeah. I can't believe that isn't in my top 10. I yeah. Admit, same. I can't believe. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my number eight is I've put here Torn Torn's Guts. It's, um, <laughs> it's another good, yeah. It's in Hoth, yeah. and I can remember when me and my brother went to the movie, and Han Solo ignites the lightsaber. We thought, oh my <clears> god, <throat> Han is a—he's got to be a Jedi because he knows how to turn a lightsaber on. Um, <laughs> and all he does is slit the the Tauntaun's belly so that he can shove. I mean, yeah, it's not going to smell very good. <laughs> I thought they smelt bad on the outside. He says, isn't it? <laughs> that's right. And puts Luke in there just to keep him nice and warm, but. As a little kid, that is about as gross and horrific, I think, as I'd ever seen in my life at that point, is mm. seeing the intestines and the insides of a freshly slit open tauntaun. 
Um, I always thought it looked toy like with the little yeah. square yes, underneath it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, there was one, wasn't there, without that that had a solid belly, and there was one with a sort of rubberized bit, and you could mm. put Luke in there because I remember my yeah. neighbour didn't have the belly one, and he was he was like, "Mum, what is this? You know, you bought me the wrong one." <laughs> um, but there is, yeah, there's another great character moment, isn't there, when he cuts open with a lightsaber? He kind of goes, "Ah, like he, he like, what am I doing here?" Yeah, I, he's just mm. improvising. You really get that sense that he's improvising. Um, and again, great character moment with that line that you said, you know, I thought they smelled bad on the outside. I always thought it looked like um, bean sprouts, like from, from our yes. local Chinese. Yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't know if I've ever read anywhere what that actually was. This is uh, very clear, wasn't it, everything in mm, that sense? It's just all, mm. like, yeah, yeah. I mean, now I think about it, I'm never going to have bean sprouts again because I think <laughs> I, just, I, I hadn't thought of that before. It just looked like <laughs> tubes with some kind of... Or you'll go to the Chinese and order tons tons I must must have been a hungry kid because I always thought the bit where you see Darth Vader from the back without his helmet on, I always thought his head looked like raspberry ripple ice cream. Really? Because it's got that kind of plasticine. If you got three or four colors, yeah, right, roll them together. But yeah, no, that's that's fair enough. Okay, that was my my, my number eight. Um, So Jamie, you're number seven, then please. My number seven is the Sarlacc battle in Return of the Jedi. Um, I've always loved how there's so much going on in that scene. You know, you've got Luke trying to get to the, you know, the main main barge. You've got Han, Chewie's been shot and he's holding his leg. Lando's hanging off. You know, the droids are, what do we do here? You know, Leia's doing her thing. I think there was, there's some material that I put in my returning to Jedi that was given to me by a gentleman who was there in Yuma shooting on his little super eight camera. And you can see some extra bits of Leia fighting off the guards and stuff. Right. Um, I will using say that, that I've got Jabba's sail barge as my number four. So I'm going to count that as, as the same thing. It was yeah. seen. So yeah. Great design. I mean, I've actually got a picture downstairs in my little, I call it my cinema room, but it's essentially a dining room without a table in it and a screen um, that my wife has allowed me to keep as a little cinema. Um, but I've got a picture of the Ralph Macquarie production drawing of the Sal Barge battle going on. And in that picture, actually, it looks like a like a, a, a fish almost. It's got like this mouth and it's almost got like a barbels hanging off there. Um, but I love that design, just this idea that there's this monster embedded in the sand and if you go in there's no coming out until until later maybe yeah um i think just so many there's so many great scenes of our heroes kind of working separately but also working together for the for the kind of greater good you know they're there to it's another rescue mission of course just like back mm-hmm. in the in the days of the death star rescue um i love the design of the skiff it was a toy that came in a little bit later for me i'd sort of already moved on i think to computers by 1985 and I remember seeing that skiff toy and going, oh, I want it. Um, my mum wouldn't let me have it. Um, but just all those henchmen, you know, the skiff guards and uh, Klaatu and Weeque and all those guys. Um, I love that whole design. And I love the behind the scenes story of it, you know, that George built this incredible barge. I don't know what the stats are anymore, but I used to be able to recite them. You know, it was like 400 crafts people worked on it over six months or whatever. And it's on screen for a matter of minutes, you know. It wasn't mm. him showing off, and he says in that famous line in returning um, uh, from Star Wars to Jedi, the making of a saga, you know, if you build something like that, it's not your job to show it off, you know. It's there to serve the story. Yeah. And, of course, Jabba would have this big, bloated pleasure barge, you know, full mm. of boozy aliens. Of course he would. That's that's the kind of 
vile gangster he is. Yeah. Again, it's just design pushing along the characters, pushing along the story. Um, fantastic music. There's also that alternate music, which I think was on, if you had that original, sorry, not that original, if you had that um, 1992, I'm thinking, soundtrack release, it was like in a portrait sort of box. It had four CDs yeah. in it, one for each movie and then some unreleased stuff. And there's an unreleased, um, previously unreleased version of of that music. It's not as good. Um, I have sort of synced it up um, to see how it plays. But I love that music, the music that was finally used. Mm. Um, you know, and then we've got our, all of our characters back together by the end and off they go in opposite directions again. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's great. I love it. And the blind it's, hand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a great sort of 20, 25 minute whole sequence. But once they're going, well, from the moment where Han is saying, instead of a big dark blur, I can see a big light blur. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he said, oh, well, we're in Tatooine. There's nothing to see here. I used to live here, Luke said. Yeah, but the you're going to die Luke, here, you know. Yeah, yeah, the fact that Luke has got it all planned. He, he mm. knows exactly what he's doing, exactly how it's going to play out. Um, it's just a fantastic scene. It's just mm. the whole thing. So, yeah. And if you go to Galaxy's Edge, they've got a model of a Sarlacc. So you see it, what it looks like underneath. Oh, right. The, the, and you obviously you got the, the well, what it looks like. I always say it looks like um, Little Shop of Horrors. What's that? Oh, yes. Audrey. Yeah. Audrey, the sort of magic. Yeah, well, the, the special edition one special does, edition. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if not, it's just a butthole with fangs, isn't it? The, yeah. Yeah. The way we should do. yeah. What I mean, did it look like at the back? you saying that well underneath it yeah, yeah. It, looks, it almost looked like it had the body of if i can remember correctly of like a, a brontosaurus kind of thing oh, okay. going down like all the way down obviously mm-hmm. then if you get eaten by it then it's a thousand years of agony or something wasn't it i, I don't know yeah, why yeah. I'm, I'm blanking i'm, I'm normally digested over a thousand years that's yeah. it digested pain and suffering years. there you go yeah there you go. <laughs> okay my number seven uh is the vader versus kenobi uh, lightsaber fight in a new mm-hmm. that's my number four that's your number four okay yeah um i mean obviously I'm, I'm assuming jamie you would have seen uh when those i can't remember the name of the guys who did it but they recut and redid the mm-hmm. uh that particular scene i would love it if they put that scene in the actual thing <laughs> because it's so much more dyna- dynamic but just seeing alec guinness uh waving a lightsaber around is always great fun as well and it was um I think it was probably, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, it was probably the first death I ever saw, although it's not really a death, but the first mm. death I saw that really affected me at the cinema. Mm. You yeah. know, it was somebody that was like a wizened, a wizened old wizard and somebody that you'd grown to sort of have affection for that all of a sudden was just cut down. Mm. Um, and I can, I can, I can remember the, um, like the, the comic version of the story. Mm. That was a lot more visceral. It showed... Obi Wan Kenobi, just like being pulverized by a lightsaber, right. it didn't it? Wasn't where he was swished and disappeared. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, do you remember that? One. It was, it was mm. a real. I was looking like, here because I might have it on my shelf, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a real vicious like drawing where he's just he looks like he's just like squiggly lines. I can't quite That's explain right. it, but it was just horrible. Yeah, yeah. So it was nothing like the actual um, story. But uh, Jamie, you're going to say something. I was just going to say, and you're right about, you know, that that death affecting you, because at that moment when they get back on the Falcon, they escape and we hear the sad music. We are in Luke's shoes at that point because yes. we're like, I, I, this is the guy that was taking me places and this is the guy I was looking up to and he was going to teach me stuff and what he's, you know, 
he's he's died i remember showing somebody must have been 20 years ago so they'd never seen star wars it was a friend of my my then wife and she'd never seen the film and she kind of said exactly that she was like Hang, what yeah he di- he dies mm. i didn't you know <laughs> but he's gonna he's gonna help them and you know it is it is a big moment and of course, so early great... in the movie as well. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's the thing you think, hang on a minute, he's the big star of the show. Yeah. What's yeah. going on, you know? Yeah. Well, Lucas really had to sort of talk him round to that idea of, you know, killing him off. He realised he didn't need him in the third act, you know, and it would be far more dramatic for, for him to, to get rid of him at that point. But yeah, it must have been quite a difficult conversation to have with Sir Alec Guinness, the Shakespearean mm-hmm. actor. Yeah. Oh, by the mm-hmm. way. Yeah, but maybe until the movie came out and he'd won- made millions out of it. Yeah. So. yeah, what did he say? Thank goodness for Star Wars or something. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Famous. That's my uh, number seven. So, uh, Jamie, your number six, then, please. Um, I've kind. Of, this is again. It's it's more of a sequence, but I guess Jabba's Palace. I've got a real affection okay. for Jabba's Palace. Um, I think because I was seven when I first saw a Star Wars movie on the big screen, it was Return of the Jedi, as I said earlier, taken up to the Dominion in London. And I just remember really falling in love with the making of the movie based on the the, the book that my sister had bought, actually. When we finished the film, we exited through the foyer. My, my parents said, look, you can buy a book each. There was a table there with some badges and books. I bought the red story book. My sister bought the white collector's edition behind the scenes book. And on the train on the way home, we kind of slid them across the table. Um, if indeed we did have tables on trains then. And I remember just thinking, this is incredible. People make make this stuff, you know, and there mm. was concept drawings of Klaatu and Weequay and and Barada and all those guys. And there was map paintings and concept drawings of, um, sorry, of, of Jabba's Palace um, by Ralph Macquarie and just the iterations of Jabba the Hutt. And I've always been a bit obsessed with with Jabba, that that toy of Jabba, which I still have actually, uh, just out of reach where I am now. Um, my parents really struggled to find it because it was the hot toy of that mm. year's, you know, Christmas um, period. And they ended up having to go to a toy shop miles and miles away to get me this thing. So I've hung on to it all these years. It's still in great condition, still you know, played with um, a lot. And I've, you know, in more recent years, I've interviewed Toby Philpot, who was one half of Jabba. I've become good friends with Dave Barkley, who's the other half of Jabba. You know, I've chatted to Mike Edmonds. I've chatted to John Coppinger, who designed Jabba. I love that whole place. And, you know, I wasn't a big fan of the Boba Fett series, but I loved being back in Jabba's palace, seeing, yeah. you know, the camera turn just a little bit right or just a bit, a little bit left from where we, from where we knew it. And, maybe seeing where a staircase goes. I just think it's got such a great design. I mean, a lot of people said, you know, Return of the Jedi turned into kind of Muppets in space. And to a certain extent, I I understand that. But I do love those designs. You know, Nilo Rodis, of course, went from being an industrial designer, coming up with ships and walkers to being a costume designer. And he designed a lot of those characters and those costumes. Phil Tippett was, you know, designing them he was heading up the creature shop he'd sort of leapt up to the next level and was there on set you know helping dress the people and direct them and you know put cool uh hairdryer air into the mouths of these <laughs> these poor stunt doubles and things or stunt actors and extras um i've just always had such an affection for that scene and it's one of those scenes where again our, our protagonists are walking into something 
that they don't even they're not even sure of what's going to happen you know mm. we as the audience don't know what's going to happen we don't know that leia is dressed as a bounty hunter we don't know why luke has said the droids can be given as a gift and you've got this you know crazy voiced and deep laugh big slug just sitting there and all right he can't move much but he is kind of scary still you know and i love mm-hmm. that voice i love that jabba voice i don't think it's been bettered i think even in the pre- prequels doesn't sound quite right you know yeah um and, and i do it with the rancor as well yeah of course the rancor pit i mean i love that toy as a kid I, it barely articulated its mouth you couldn't even get a gamorian guard's leg in it almost That's right. <laughs> um but i love that toy you know I remember I remember opening all those gifts on Christmas Day and we'd woken up stupidly early, my sister and I. My grandparents had stayed that night. They said they would never do it again. Um, and I remember going back to bed uh, later in the day because I was tired and waking up. And at the bottom of my bed was Jabba the Hutt, Bib Fortuna, the Rancor monster. You know, it was all there. And I just have this real strong memory of kind of waking up and uh, thinking, wow, I'm a lucky kid. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've always had an affection for that. And I've dug deep into the making of, you know, I've just put out a book in June about Return of the Jedi. It, it um, chronicles the whole film from conception all the way up to this year, its 40th anniversary. And, you know, I was able to get exclusive diaries from Dave Barkley, who, like I said, was half of Jabba and John Coppinger, who helped build and design Jabba. And I'm always striving to find something more about Return of the Jedi, Empire Strikes Back and Star Wars, but just being able to dig more into that scene in particular, because it is one of my top 10. Um, yeah, it's always delightful to find something new. Mm. And Neil, I was going to say what you said earlier on about um, like practical effects and CG. I think Jabba the Hutt is the perfect example. Oh, yeah. I, don't think, I don't think it's ever been better than 40 years ago. No. When it was a puppet, as opposed no, to uh, any of the times we've seen uh, Jabba or any of well, his family. Well, they cgi As a CGI one, yeah. it just doesn't work. It's, not, it's, well, it's not, the same it's with Yoda, isn't it? It's the same. Mm-hmm. Yoda's got more, more personality as the puppet. Oh, it's just more and tactile moving. and yeah. you can see the, the emotion there. Yeah, with that shadow. Yeah. Um, go on then, Neil, you're number six. So it's Darth Vader taking his helmet off to... Uh, that's yeah. what she said. Um, it's not. We've spoken about it. Um, the it's the end. It's the change. You know, it's the, the savior, and it's the first bit. It could have been ruined with some of the funny YouTube. Um, oh, and also, which, which, which time are you not? You're not talking about Empire Strikes Back. You're talking. No, about, no, I'm talking uh, about Return uh, of the Jedi. Uh, oh, sorry. Right. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah. The, when he the unmasking. Yeah, right. the unmasking. You know, we we we'd seen a glimpse in Empire Strikes Back of his head. We hadn't seen what he was, and it was it was that. You know, how old was I? 83. So I was 12 mm. when that came out. And it was still then. What does he look like? What's he going to look like? It was almost, yeah, it was almost the excitement. And it's, it's such a pivotal moment of the movie, isn't it? It's the um, father and son moment, as as it were. Uh, but yeah, I just really like that. But I was going to say, I do have to give uh, credit to that, whoever did the YouTube where he's playing the harmonica. Yes. Uh, that's what I think I it's one did. of the yeah, funniest yeah. things. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah anybody has ever done so yeah. i'll put that on yes. the video playlist for our patreoners as well if that's uh, if that's up on youtube for me when i saw that that to me is the title of the movie that's yeah. when he the, the return right, of the yeah. Jedi mm-hmm. is when that's when anakin is back but it's like good anakin mm-hmm. but obviously it's not it's not the anakin or is it the anakin who knows when the special edition but that that for me is what the movie is is, yeah. is that moment yeah it's a really emotional scene, isn't it? Because we're shown behind the mask of this 
horrible evil character there's just this old dude you know yeah, who's been yeah. stuck in there for however many decades and we kind of collectively go oh oh right and it yeah. changes your perception of that character immediately absolutely um and you know sebastian shaw of course was only on set for that day or maybe two days and it was a very secretive shoot mm. um and you know so much secrecy surrounded that because that was the moment that everyone was waiting for, because the Empire Strikes Back had teed this up. Is he really his father? And who is, you know, right, he's a guy, you know. He's more machine now than man. Indeed. Twisted and evil. Mm. And then you just see this old dude scarred to hell, yeah. um, you know, even lacking eyebrows in the in the later version. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> a, weird, a weird choice. A weird um, choice. But, uh, yeah, I've all, and th there is actually that moment where, again, the music kind of gets a bit twinkly and emotional, and you can see that tear running down Mark Hamill's face. Yeah. Um, and then the line, you know, um, I've got to save you. You already have. I mean, wow. Yeah. Amazing. Mm. Amazing. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. You were right. Tell your sister you were right. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's yeah. Fantastic. Absolutely great. Uh, my number six is uh, Don't Get Cocky, uh, is yeah. the um, the battle between the four, four TIE fighters, I think it is. Mm -hmm. uh, straight after uh, Kenobi is. Uh, perished um luke is in mourning but han says come on buddy we're still not out of this yet and they go and it always fascinated me i had to draw it on a bit of paper the physics of this because they're on the ship but then they go <laughs> up and down a ladder so what hang on, that means there's a gun at the top and there's a gun at the bottom but that means they're going to be upside down and i don't yeah. know work out how that actually <laughs> physically works yeah but another great set piece where it is mm -hmm. edge of the seat stuff great editing sound design it for me it culminates exactly what we love about star wars it's that high intensity han solo being i love the fact that he says don't get cocky but then <laughs> and he, he's the cockiest he, one yeah. and he's the cockiest one out of the lot yeah. luke's trying to impress him by you know shooting them it's quite good because they get two each so they're both as good as each other um but then it all gets sort of shot to shit afterwards when Leia is saying, oh, well, they let us go. Mm. So I'm like, well, it didn't really matter if you got them all because they would have let us go anyway. Mm -hmm. So it, it kind of sort of like it, it, it pissed on Han's chips a little bit because <laughs> yeah. he thought he was, well, look at that, not a bad bit of rescuing if I do say so myself. There is that great moment, I think, between Han and Luke in that, um, if I'm remembering it correctly, where Luke gets his second one and you just see this smile come across Han Solo's face, like, oh, this kid's doing great, you know, and we're bonding here and we're in this together. Yeah. Um, and, you know, despite Leia saying that they they let us go, I'm pretty sure that Han Solo still wouldn't believe that if we asked him today, you know, if he yeah. is a real person. Exactly. <laughs> Completely agree. Um, okay, we're half... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Play through, so it's time for this. Pop quiz, hot shot. Yes, now as you've literally written the book on the movies and done the film entries on the movies, Jamie, you're going to be... Uh, I would say favourite for this. Okay, uh, but it's, first, no it's first one to three. We're going to have a little bit of a quiz. It's first one to three. And if you get the question wrong, it goes over to your opponent. So uh, as you are the guest, uh, Jamie, you can go first or second. What would you like to do? I'll go first. I don't mind. Yeah. Okay, here you go. Question one. What type of dog was the inspiration for Chewbacca, according to George Lucan? Lucan? George Lucan. Lucan. <laughs> Lord Lucan. Lord Lucan. According to That's Lord where Lucan. He is. <laughs> According to George Lucas. Sorry. Well, I believe it was uh George's own dog, which I think was a Malamute dog, I think. Yeah. Is correct. It was an Alaskan Malamute, yes. Mm. Neil, how yes. many forms of communication is C3PO fluent in? Christ. Three billion, is it? Mm. It is not. Jamie? Six million? I'm going to give you that. It's over six million forms of communication. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jamie, so for the win, Jamie, uh, what model of aircraft did Luke use to bullseye womp rats? Uh, It was a T-16. Why have I forgotten? I was about to say space hopper. No. Why is that not in my head anymore? (laughs) I used to bullseye want rats in my T-16 back home. Yeah, but is a T-16 what? I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) I could give you half a point. And you're so close. Yeah, what, what, why is it not in my head anymore? These, I'm 47, things are starting to leave my memory. <laughs> yeah, they drip out. They I'm going to give out. you half a point. I'm going to punch myself so when you Neil, tell me. Neil, can you re- guess what the second part <laughs> no, is? No, is the honest answer. No. It was a T16 Skyhopper. Skyhopper. Uh, you were so close. You were so close. Uh, Neil. Yes. Who was Luke Skywalker's gunner during the Battle of Hoth? Oh, I don't know. Jamie? No, it wasn't Jamie. No, 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 no. I'm asking Jamie. I was asking Jamie. (laughs) (laughs) Give it to Jamie. What was it? I need his full name. Again, I'm going to kick myself because I've actually interviewed this guy about 15 years ago. Oh, my God. Uh, No, it's gone from, you know, put on the spot. It's Dak Rolter. Dak. I didn't know his surname was Rolter. I didn't know Dak. Okay, so Jamie, for the win... What did Owen Lars tell Luke about his father? Uh, 
What did Owen tell him? He told him... (laughs) (laughs) My mind is blank. I'm blaming it on the jet lag. Yeah, Um, I, I would. I would, yeah. What did he tell him about his father? I'm thinking of that wizard's just a crazy old man, which is about Obi Wan. Um, yeah, he. Oh, you know, it's gone. It's crazy. Neil? Okay, Neil. Is it something about how he died in something or other? I don't know. No. It was that he was a navigator on a spice, a spice freighter. freighter. There you go. Neil. If you'd have asked me what occupation. No, I'm joking. Ah, there you go. Uh, Neil, here's a nice easy one for you. What was the diameter of the first Death Star? (laughs) Fuck knows. I haven't got a clue. Have a guess. In kilometres, have a guess. Oh, in kilometres. 50. Very disappointed, Neil. Very disappointed. I I, I might know the answer to this because I did a thing a few years back called Star Wars in Numbers where I did a little montage of things. And I'm pretty sure the Death Star was something like 140, 150, 160 kilometres. We got three answers there. Yeah. Pick one. 150. No, it was 120, actually. Okay. uh, Jamie, is this your question now? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Jamie, for the win, how many meals does Jabba consume a day? Where was that said? It was somewhere on the internet that I got the question from, so it has to be true. Uh, well, he has the frogs, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming I'm picking a, in a book somewhere. I'm that, picking that... a random number nine. Well done, Jamie. <laughs> uh, nothing wow. better than winning on a complete fluke. Congratulations <laughs> on the win there. Wow. Well done, well done. Um, I'll just that was through. in my brain. I, I have three more, but which word is never spoken in the Star Wars movie? Neil did mention it in the uh, in the facts. Ewoks. Ewok is correct. Uh, yeah. Which Ewok had an iguana as a pet and advisor? Um, Tebow. Chief Chirper. Chief Chirper. And okay. where did Luke try to convince Dark, uh, Biggs Darklighter that he had witnessed a space battle? Uh, it was at the Toshi Station. It was at the Toshi Station, indeed. Well done, Jamie. Congratulations. Yes, well done, Jamie. I feel slightly redeemed after forgetting some really slightly. obvious ones. <laughs> <laughs> okay, back to the uh, job in hand. What's your number five, please, Jamie? Um, I've got written here, I love you, I know. Um, Oh, that's Cloud my City. number three. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's and my Solo. number five as well. And Solo, Princess Leia. Again, it's one of those scenes which says so much about the character. We finally, it's like that moment when Luke fires the torpedoes and does that big sigh. We all have this sigh of relief that sh- they finally admitted to each other that they're into each other and mm. he's aware of it and all that kind of stuff. Of course, it was going to be, I love you too and don't you forget it or something like that. And then Harrison Ford had a chat with Irving Kirshner and got the line changed and if you read alan arnold's fantastic book on the making the journal of the making of empire strikes back it chronicles that whole moment in the making of the film and it was all intertwined with the fact that harrison and carrie were probably still sleeping together they were hanging out with the rolling stones and the beatles a couple of nights before and um the uh they were eric idol's place drinking some pretty heavy booze I think not not long before that. And there's the whole thing about, you know, Carrie getting annoyed that she couldn't change lines, but he was changing lines. And I don't know, it's it's so characterful and it's so full of emotion, that scene. And Chewie kind of 
howling that he can't save him you know save your strength save it for another time and all yeah, that stuff yeah. and you know I, I again it was one of those things where i didn't really get what the place was that we were in it's a fantastic set you know with the mm. the it's beautifully lit there's no backing to it almost um the steps are all lit there's so much smoke and steam it's so atmospheric i i didn't as a kid sort of understand what that was and it was only years later where i thought hang on why would they have this thing that freezes people on cloud city but of course it was to transport other things and they were just invader was improvising to get him you know transported to the emperor or whatever um but that that particular line i love you i know it just holds so much you know it's it's become part of popular culture it's, it's in our it's in our language you know i have it as a tattoo on my arm do you indeed there I you do go indeed yes and if you know if i say to my wife i love you she says i know and if i you know if she says she loves me i say i know and it's just one of those things that's just everybody knows where it comes from mm-hmm. it's so simple it's just simple words that we use most days of our lives but put together with those characters yeah it just it speaks volumes doesn't it you and know, it was very Han Solo, wasn't it? Very well? Han Solo. You know, you can very get those cross sections books where it's, it gives you cross sections of uh, and goes into minute detail of ships. And mm. I've always wanted to see one for the um, for the Carbonite Chamber because mm. I want to see exactly how it works. Because I know that Han goes into like goes down that platform. Mm. Then we see a, a shot of steam. Mm. His head sort of throws back, mm. but at no point do you see his hands go where they go when you see the final slab of yeah, carbonite yeah. i would love to know just how it works you sort of kind of see it in the first episode of the mandalorian don't you because that's how he mm, mm. They, you know, oh, on the ship yeah, they, yeah. on the ship that, that that they must have the, the legend of it must have traveled and think well this is a great mm. way for you to get your bounties to certain places without killing them or without actually you know having them running around I would love to know the actual process of how that works. I've looked that's, online and I can't that's the find thing. it anywhere. For me, I'm not that bothered about that because it's sort of just part of the story arc. It's like, you know, they're going to trap him. He can't get out. You know, is he going to die? Is he dead? Oh, no, he's alive and in perfect hibernation and all that stuff. I think it's just so atmospheric that I forgive all of the kind of mechanics of it. Um, you know, the Ugnaughts yeah. running around and yeah. I, I don't know. It's just, I think, I, I think famously, actually, they went to shoot or the, the set was kind of complete on the Friday and Irvin Kirshner came in and said, I can't shoot here. There's no background. There's, you know, there's, there's nothing to shoot. And the, the set builders kind of ran around over the weekend, you know, adding more atmosphere. And um, I think just, just by turning on the smoke, Irvin Kirshner came in on the Monday and said, this is brilliant. This is perfect. And they'd not even changed anything. You yeah. know, they just added Norman, that Norman Reynolds, wasn't it? Norman, Norman Reynolds, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. He, he said it was one of the most scary moments of his career because he built this amazing set and Kirsten said I can't shoot on this yeah um what a, yeah I mean, what a set though it's just mm. it's great again seeing the know. silhouettes of them arriving like yeah. you know you know that's Harrison because he's got that walk and you know that's Chewie with 3PO on his back yeah. and they come down the ramp and Boba Fett's there and he's very minimalist then of course you know yeah. he's obviously been changed over the years but you know he just gives the little nod or the little line here and there and of course um, it gave us posters for our bedroom walls Yes. I've got Hanning Carbonate on the on the uh front side of my bathroom door. So when the door's locked, he's staring at me when I'm sat <laughs> on the toilet. A bit too much information, I know, but it's, a, it's <laughs> like I always look at his hands and his feet. 
there was a great poster and it might have been a Ralph Macquarie eventually. I think I might have found out. I think it was like a Coca-Cola poster or something like that from back in 1980 that I've always loved when I've come across it online and in books and things. It's just that atmospheric, you know, nature of that scene and that set, just the lighting and the smoke and the steam. Beautiful. You know, Mark Hamill talks about how do you make something look cold? You add steam, which makes you boiling hot. You know, he was yeah. covered in bruises <laughs> and sweltering and, you can actually see him like with his hair all stuck to his face. Yeah. So good. So yeah. good. Uh, yeah. So that was my number five as well. Neil, your number five uh, is all, you're all clear kid. That's it. From a new hope. So my number five is hand gets frozen. Uh, so back to you, Jamie, for your number four, please. I've got um, Luke versus Vader on cloud city, you know, leading up to the culmination of I am your father. No, that's I'm impossible. Fine. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so iconic it's sort of for me it never loses the its power you know it's been there's been so many pastiches of it in so many different things you know there's that great bit in that simpsons episode where he comes homer comes out and spoils it for all the people waiting yes. in the queue and all of that stuff <laughs> um again i've seen the film with people who didn't know that you know i don't know they must have been living on the moon or something when it came out but um yeah it's never lost its power for me i think Vader's at his most kind of menacing at that point, you know, where he's sort of beating Luke down and down and down, and he, Luke's literally laying on his back, you know, trying to um, trying to fend fend for himself. And then we reach that moment, and I, it's almost like a moment of 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 desperation for Vader. I always feel like he's kind of saying, "Let's rule the galaxy as father and son. Let's get rid of the Emperor. Like, come with. I need I need your help, kind of thing. You know, mm. come with me on to this side." And not in a sort of super menacing way, but in a, a desperation kind of way. The menacing part of it for me is beforehand where he's, you know, Luke's, look, he's thrown all the boxes at him and he's fallen out the window and he's climbed back up. And then Vader just appears with, with this big vroom of the lightsaber across the frame and it scares the life out of you. Um, and he's kind of relentless, isn't he, Vader, in that scene? Mm, yeah. And Luke is really on the back foot and... His only choice is to commit suicide ultimately, because that's what that's what I guess he assumes is is what he's doing. He, he realizes he can't go with Vader. It could never be a possibility. Um, I'll never join you. Um, minus the uh, the annoying scream they added in for the ninety seven uh, version, or was yeah. it the later version? Um, yeah. I just think it's such a great a great scene. It's what we had all been waiting for throughout that film. You know, since since uh, we saw the TIE fighter spinning round at the end of Star Wars, thinking Vader's coming mm. back. Yeah. Or why is he coming? Why is he important? And then we find out all of this stuff, you know, I think, yeah, fantastic. And again, you know, from a behind the scenes point of view, Dave Prowse not being given the line, Obi-Wan was your father, I think was the line he said. He didn't right. find out until he saw the movie and he was kind of pissed off. Um, you know, Mark Hamill being taken aside and just given these little sides of lines that he would have to say, and he had to keep that secret for all those months. Um, it's just everybody knows that scene. Everybody knows that I am your father. You know, we all do the deep voice. Mm. I've said it to my kids, you know. <laughs> yeah. it's, the only, it's the only reason I had kids. Um, yeah, it's just, again, I keep using the word, but just so iconic. It's just, it sort of transcends the film in many ways. It's become something on its own because... Yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to say exactly that. It was, it was, it's basically become pop. It's become everyday culture dialogue. Mm. Mm. Now, it's probably the most famous bit of dialogue from the whole of Star Wars. I would argue. Mm. It's probably mm. the most misquoted as well. Mm. Yeah, probably. Yeah, isn't it? That's the thing. But the thing mm. is, it's also 
the reason that if anybody who's never watched the Star Wars films comes up to me and says, what order should I watch them in? I'll say four, five, six, one, two, three, seven, eight. Yeah. Nine. Because, <laughs> because you don't get the same visceral no. reaction. No, you no. That scene, if you've watched one and two and three, because then you know who Vader is, you know mm. what Anakin becomes. And that's the reason that I'll always tell people watch four, five, and six first. Definitely. Okay, so that was uh, your number four. Neil, yes. your number four was Vader versus Kenobi. My number four well, was Jabba's Sail Barge. So back to you, Jamie, for your number three. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing a lot of talking here. You are. Um, uh, do or do not, there is no try. So that whole scene with Yoda using the force to get Luke's X-Wing out of the Dagobah swamp. That's Luke my number kind of... three. That's yeah, right. Three. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um you know, I don't believe it. That is why you you fail and all that stuff. I just think it's so dramatic. The the it really puts those characters in in, in a certain place and grows the character. And again, we we you know Luke's going in with such enthusiasm to wanting to be trained and become a Jedi, and yet he keeps getting these knockbacks. You know, it's not going well there on Dagobah for Luke or Yoda ultimately. Um, but again, I just love that 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 is a mantra you can kind of live your life by. Um, when I interviewed Dave Barkley, who was age 19, he his parents were puppeteers, like marionette puppeteers, and he, I think he he got a commission from Mark Hamill to make him a Darth Vader puppet, and I think he made it actually, um, Neil, out of one of those 12 inch figures, and he oh, kind okay. of chopped it up and All articulated right. it. And as he was delivering it to the studio, he said, "I'd love to work on this film," and I think he ended up in Stuart Freeborn's workshop and showed him some of his stuff that he'd done. And he then went to work on, I think, the next Monday or something like that. Wow. Um, wow. And age 19, he was put in charge of Yoda at certain points because I think um, Frank Oz had to go and do Sesame Street Live. But Dave tells me that he's, he said, I know it's kind of cheesy, but I have lived my life by that by that mantra, by that line, do or do not, there is no try. You, if you're going to do it, just do it, he says mm. in my interview with him. You know, let's not mess around here. Let's just go and do it. Um and, you know, Dave had a great career. He went on to be Chief Puppeteer and Return of the Jedi. You know, he was a uh, little shop of horrors, um, uh, who framed Roger Rabbit, you know, and he's such a great guy, Dave. He's, he's a good pal of mine. We had breakfast in in Los Angeles where he lives um, earlier in the year, and he's just one of the sweetest guys. So in my head, Dave is part of that puzzle. You know, Luke and Yoda are part of that puzzle. Um, and I love that music as well, as, mm. he, as he pulls the X-Wing out of the the swamp yeah there's just there's that's the first time you see the sort of real physical power of or the force power of of yoda as well yeah. um and i think dave was actually buried under some leaves operating yoda in that wide shot as you see the x-wing the sort of uh model of the x-wing coming in um yeah just always loved it and um it means a lot to people that line i think i mm. agree and I think when you see the close-up of of Yoda when he's doing using the Force, and his eyes are all scrunched up, and his little hand is is mm. in front of him, again another one that wouldn't have worked as well if it wasn't a puppet. Mm. Do you know, I think I don't. Th I think it would have looked too real. Whereas Yoda as a puppet is 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 you know, everything's all scrunched up, and it just, mm. and it almost look. I'm, I don't know whether I'm looking at, it, but does, is he peeking through? Is sort of looking at what he's doing while he's got his eyes closed, kind of thing, or is that just part of the design of the puppet? Maybe? Yeah, I don't know. I don't but know. That's I'm how I always looked at it. it myself. I always looked yeah. at it that he was sort of he was using the force, but <laughs> his eyes were slightly open, so he was looking at what he was doing. Maybe so he didn't 
you know, smash into Luke when he was moving the X-Wing or that. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, so Neil, your number three was I Love You, I Know. That's it. My number three was Yoda and the X-Wing. Uh, Jamie, your number two. <laughs> My number two. Yeah, the trench, trench run. Yeah, as we said. So Neil, what's your number two? So it's the, from A New Hope. It's the cantina scene when we get first introduced to um, Han Solo, the Greedo bit, you know, Han shooting first. Let's go back to the original. Let's never fuck that up again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there was no need, was there, to change No that? need. But, but the Especially whole bit. With, um, Oh, what's the what's the thing that Greedo cites out now? Oh, I don't McClunky. McClunky. Yeah, that's it. Then what's the point? What is that all about? <laughs> what is yeah. that all about? Yeah. It showed, um, you know, Han Solo is the lovable rogue that he is. Badass. He's getting rid of, he's yeah, he's getting rid of that person or that thing that is getting <laughs> in his way. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the whole scene in the cantina building up, you know, Luke and um, Ben in there or Obi Wan, um. Yeah, I just it reminds me of the magical seeing that for the first time, and every time I still watch it with amazed eyes. I mean, it's probably shocking the effects now compared to what they can do, but seeing a whole new world. I've turned into Aladdin now, <laughs> but <laughs> don't uh, start this, singing. <laughs> yeah, this this world that we've never really been immersed in before. I mean, my only sort of sci-fi. I mean, before I saw. I mean, it probably is my first sci-fi I ever saw on the cinema. I mean, at the cinema. I'd probably seen the, the old Flash Gordons on TV as a child, mm. what, you know, growing up at that time. But it immersed you into the world, and it's the best bit that does immerse you into this whole strange, long-time-ago, galaxy-far-far-away world. And that's why I still sort of hold it so highly, I think. It's mm. Fabulous. Mm. I still um, use the cantina as a description I, I i've been in to bars before and said to people oh, let's not go in there it's like the star wars cantina in there right, you know, there's, yeah. there's, there's there's something from every corner of the galaxy in there mm. that's not for us you know um yeah. or you know if somewhere's busy and or somewhere feels a bit menacing i might say you know God, it's like the star wars cantina in here you know <laughs> it's just it's just again it's become part of the, the way we talk especially us movie nerds um yeah and I do love the fact that, you know, another behind the scenes story that they shot a lot of that in Elstree. George wasn't happy, so they did pickups in, in Los Angeles. And of course, it cuts together completely seamlessly. You'd have no idea that that scene was shot over two different continents. Mm. Um, again, I've spoken to Paul Blake, who played Greedo in the in the sort of UK end of things. And he tells some great stories about asking George to make him a cup of tea because he didn't realise he wasn't a runner on the show. On the show. <laughs> um, um yeah I've, I've got a real affection for that that was on my top sort of 20 that i was kind of juggling around mm. the last few days before we started chatting yeah that is a good one yeah we our, our friend pam rose yeah one it was uh, yeah. i can't remember which character what the character's name is but she was with a sort of blink if you miss it but i think in the original cut she had a bigger part, a bigger part mm. big, big domed head wasn't it? yes yeah yeah um okay so that's your number two my number two is the opening scene it's the opening um, with the Star Destroyer coming over your head as chasing mm. the little Tantive 4. Is it a Tantive 4? I think it is. Yeah. The blockade runner, it, as I call the, it. Yeah. yeah, the blockade runner. It's the thing that makes you fall in love with the movie right from the start because it tells you everything you need to know in 15, 20 seconds. It tells you the might of the Empire. It tells you the pathetic form of the rebel alliance basically <laughs> with the how small their ship is and it's just i mean i will say it, I, 
as much as the whole scene with Vader coming in and that kind of stuff is great, just the first moment. I can remember when I bought the Blu-ray versions of the new uh, of, of this trilogy, and just watching that scene again on you know on like a big TV took me right back to when it was mm-hmm. when I was in Burnham on Sea. In 1978, I would assume it was when Star Wars came out and and saw the movie for the first time. It was just mm. magical seeing that again and thinking right from that moment, I'm in. I mm. don't know what's happening, but I'm in. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, and we've said it so many times tonight, iconic. It's an iconic moment that tells you everything you need to know about this story that you're going to watch from a galaxy mm. far, far away. Okay, before we reveal our number ones, uh, Jamie, if you want to give us a rundown of your 10 to 2, uh, yeah. Neil will do the same and I'll do the same and then we'll tell everyone what our number ones are. This is where I sound like Pat Sharp. Uh, in 10, <laughs> it's the Battle of Hoth. Nine was the cave scene on Dagobah. Eight was the speedbike chase. Seven was the Sarlacc battle. Six was Jabba's palace. I've got minus the musical number. Um, or the updated musical number. Number yeah. five was I Love You, I Know. Number four, Luke and Vader on Cloud City, I'm Your Father. Three was Do or Do Not. And two uh, was the Death Star trench run. I feel I should have the da 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 music playing when we do the whole fluff. Go on then, Neil. Yeah, fluff. Number ten. So it's when R two gets shot by the Jawas. Number nine, the Battle of Hoth, Empire Strikes Back. Number eight, the garbage shoot, A New Hope. Number seven, the speed bike chase from Return of the Jedi. Number six, Darth Vader takes his helmet off in Return of the Jedi. Number five, Han saves the day in A New Hope. Four, Obi-Wan versus Vader from A New Hope. Number three, I love you, I know, from Empire. Number two, Han shoots Greedo in the cantina and that whole scene Lovely. from A New Hope. And Sounds painful. Is... Shot him in the cantina. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, my number 10 is Yub Nub, Return of the Jedi. Nine, The Trench Run, A New Hope. Eight, Tauntaun's Guts, The Empire Strikes Back. Seven, Vader versus Kenobi, A New Hope. Six, Don't Get Cocky Kid, A New Hope. Five, Han gets frozen, Empire Strikes Back. Four, Jabba's Sail Barge, Return of the Jedi. Uh, three, Yoda and the X-Wing, Empire Strikes Back. And number two, the opening scene in A New Hope. So, Jamie, what is your number one original trilogy Star Wars moment? It is that opening scene. Uh, it's oh. the op- I'm 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 in, I'm sort of sort of the might of the empire immediately. I think even though those models were, you know, roughly the same size, I think even the blockade runner might have been slightly bigger than the star destroyer. The brilliant effects work, of course, the, the immense detail on that ship. Um, yeah, I love it, and of course the opening crawl. Uh, I spoke to Dan Perry who designed like the star wars logo and helped with the opening crawl and all of that stuff and again it just we know instantly we know it's star wars now we see mm. a, we see a crawl going up diagonally up the screen and we know exactly what we're looking at um it it's it was the beginning of creating the grammar the visual grammar of a star wars movie um we're in absolutely no doubt of what we're looking at um and i just love the idea that we start a film with a chase you know mm. i don't I can't think of a, a film that I'd seen, uh, I wouldn't say before that, because I probably didn't see Star Wars until about 1980, but, and I wasn't a big moviegoer, really my parents weren't big moviegoers, but, you know, even thinking of films from that era, or films that preceded Star Wars, they didn't start with a chase, they started with building mm. up the characters and the story arc slowly, but here we're just chucked straight into the action, 
and I'm in, I'm all in, and I've been all in since then, you know. It's very reminiscent, I mean, looking back now with a bit more sort of uh, knowledge of things, you can see where George Lucas got it from the chapter plays, from the, the Flash Gordon. The series, you yeah. Know, I didn't realise it as a kid, but it's so, so obvious now looking back on it. It's, it's yeah. It's a great, a great way to open, and and Star Wars is a film like others that we've spoken about. I know when we talk about movies, there's a select few films that change the landscape of movie making forever, and Star Wars will ever forever be one of those. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, although George at the very start of it didn't realize this was going to be in Episode Four, Five, mm. and Six, it is that thing of like, well, there's a story before all this, mm. and there are chapters before this, and and. But you, like you just said, Jamie, you're being thrown straight into something that's going on that we don't quite know what the story is apart from what was in that crawl. So, mm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, fantastic. Which you Go probably on. didn't read when you first saw the movie anyway. <laughs> well, no, it was too fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go on then, Neil, you're number one. Well, Jamie's, um, we've already spoken about it. Well, and it, it's I Am Your Father from Empire Strikes Back. It's got it's got to be for me. Like we say, you know, there's di- lines of dialogue from movies that, sticking everybody's sort of in in their in their vision and 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 sound bites and this has probably got to be the most famous and it changed it was the first movie twist i'd ever seen at the cinema Mm. i can't remember anything else that you know had me thinking is he isn't he like we said and having seen that for the first time and coming out and saying to my dad is he (laughs) you know and and being like that it's yeah it's got to be sort of recognised for what it really is and what it's done to the cultural landscape. Mm. Yeah, yeah, great one, great one. Mm. Uh, my number one is Return of the Jedi, and it's Vader versus Luke 2, the rematch. Mm. Um, especially the moment where Vader is goading Luke and saying, you know, if you will not be turned, then perhaps our sister. Yeah, and then the choir comes in when and Luke loses it yeah, and starts attacking epic. him with the lightsaber, and the choir mm. comes up, and that whole bit uh, it still gives me a lump in my throat uh, when I watch it because you feel like Luke is teetering on the brink of doing exactly what the Empire uh, Emperor wants, mm-hmm. uh, so much so that when he's slashed Vader to a almost pulp and taken his his mechanical arm off or his hand off. All you can all you can hear is the cackle of the emperor behind, going "Good, good, good," you know. And you think, "Ah, he's got him, he's got him." But then he just throws <laughs> away the lightsaber, says, "No, I'm a Jedi like my father before me." And yeah, I mean, it is specifically that moment I think for me when the mm. choir comes in and and Luke's really he's got him got the better of him for the first time really, and uh, because he's let the anger uh, overtake him. So and there's that great low tracking shot, isn't there, underneath? As they as they're battling off in uh, to the left of the frame, yeah. I'd love that scene as well. In fact, any of the your suggestions for your top tens, I could easily put it in my top oh, ten. A, we could come up with same. another twenty each, and I would agree with them as a top ten. You know, there's just completely so many. Agree. Yeah, that's Com- the problem, isn't it? Completely agree. Uh, just got a few honourable mentions to to mention. At Joshy McSquashy says, "I love you, I know." I think he was. <laughs> talking about the star wars quote he wasn't telling me that i don't know uh stuart turvey said i'd rather kiss a wookie i can arrange that you could do with a good kiss uh, <laughs> not sure that line would get into a current disney script he says audrey pearson best moment is in return of the jedi when leia gets shot han runs over and she shows she's hiding a blaster he tells her i love you she replies i know throwing his line from ember strikes back right back at him before letting loose on the stormtroopers and i think isn't that when han gets a little bit of a grope 
there by mistake as well yep. when uh, when mm-hmm. Leia gets uh, mm-hmm. here. Uh, Dawn Sardella Ayers says, Blam, Princess Leia, I don't care who you are or where you come from, but from now on you do as I say. Okay, says <laughs> that to Ham. God damn, I miss Carrie, so effing much, we needed her. Uh, Mauricio Helbron Jr., uh, an impossible question to answer for someone who was the perfect age seeing the first Star Wars. I remember my 13-year-old self sitting next to my dad being transported into this new universe, but there's one scene that tickles me each time I see it. It always seems fresh, even though I can lip-sync all three of these films, including R2-D2 noises, flawlessly and without any conscious effort. And that scene is where Luke meets Yoda, and Yoda comes across as a silly, impish elf until he doesn't. And Luke looks at him the way we did when both Luke and the audience discovered the character's true identity. But I could wax rhapsodic rhapsodic about dozens of other scenes. David Ye says the opening scene has to get a mention. I mean, hands down, so mind-blowingly awesome beginning of a movie. Battle of Hoth, speeder bike chase, when the choir kicks in, Vader versus Luke. Sarah (laughs) Lawson said Yoda and the X-Wing, the boy is our last hope, there is another. This moment gets me every time. So many feels. And what did he mean? It could be Princess Leia, obviously, but does it? I mean, I would assume it, yes, it mm, is Princess Leia, Leia isn't it? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When Han gets defrosted from Carbonite and Chewie lovingly grooms and holds him, uh, the best good boy and friend. Okay, one more. When Chewie is trying to put C-3PO back together and puts his head on backwards, sweet mm. spirit. Brian Toe, when Han comes back and saves Luke's ass in the Death Star Trench, it cements Han as a good guy, despite his scruffy exterior, a moment that means more when he's definitely shot, when he definitely shot first. And it also gave us James Earl Jones' greatest line delivery ever of the what? That was a good one. Uh, and Sean <laughs> Finch, I love you, I know. Oh, and Han shot first. I think that's everyone. I don't want to make sure. I want to make sure I don't. <laughs> yeah, that's that's everyone. Uh, so that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. We've done it. We got the greatest trilogy out of the way, and <laughs> yeah. uh, it's been a bit of a, it's been a momentous one. Um, Jamie, uh, tell everybody where they can get in touch with you, and I will put the uh, film film entries podcast link in the show notes, so you Thank can you. Uh, please Thank go you. and have a listen to that because if you've loved this, you will absolutely love his podcast. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Just just before I do that, number eleven, the medal ceremony. Just yes. thinking of that music should be accompanying us right now because we've, oh, we've yeah. completed it, we've finished it. Um, yeah. So I'm on Twitter at Jamie SWB. That did stand for Styles Begins, which was one of my filmy entries. Kind of stuck with that. It's not called Twitter these days. X. I still can't get over that. Um, filmy entries on Facebook and on Instagram. Film entries podcast. So it's like documentaries, but with the word film in front. It, again, it doesn't make sense, but it is the first thing that comes up <laughs> if you try and spell it. So hooray for me. Um, and yeah, there's 85, 86 episodes there with people from all over the, the film world. Not always Star Wars, but Star Wars is always kind of the connective tissue. They were either inspired by Star Wars, my guests, or they worked on those films. There we go. Thank you. I've <laughs> take two um yeah so if you search for jamie benning there's me and a woman in wyoming that works in the water industry um that's the only two of us i think in the world and if you try and spell filmy entries i'm sure you'll come across it there's there's a ton of stuff for you to watch on vimeo as well vimeo.com don't search within vimeo because it doesn't come up but search vimeo filmy entries or jamie benning there's about two well, days you, worth of video got a then. link for it send it to me jamie and I'll yeah put it sure in the show notes and people do can that. just click on it because again the filmumentaries if you're a fan of star wars uh raiders you did one on raiders, raiders and jaws, and jaws yeah 
they're so good to watch because mm. there's bits in there that you may never have seen before. Um, it's just a great compendium of those movies all in one place. So Thanks. thoroughly recommend it. Um, that's it. Oh, before we do go, Neil, do you want to tell everybody how uh, with this music playing behind you? Okay, you let's like do to tell everybody how they can get in touch with us. Of course, I would. Let's do our best. So you can email us at top10pods at hotmail.com. If you've got any suggestions for top tens or any other ideas, do please drop us a line you can find us on all the social medias at top 10 pods give us a click give us a like give us a follow or whatever it is you do on those come and help support the podcast at patreon.com forward slash top 10 pods all sorts of rewards where you could even be a guest yourself check out all of the links via the link tree you can find the link in the show notes and do please give us a click give us a like give us a rating give us a review wherever you get your podcast from wonderful jamie thank you so much for joining us yes it's been a pleasure as always good fun thank you thank you neil thank you very much pal thank you very much jamie it's been awesome cheers thank you very much everybody for watching and listening and may the force be with you Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.